welcome back to Beyond the Facade podcast, and we're on episode 21. Hey, everyone. So I'm Doña Junta from Swami Chronicles, and uh, welcome back to the podcast. We have a great episode today, and here's the whole gang with us today. <laughs> well, introduce yourself, you guys. Well, you guys know me, Observing Spooks and Other Vices, Sabrina here. Yep. And we well, have a I'm special the hood, guest. Oh, yeah. The Hood Historian on Instagram. We had to bring him back after probably yes. a year, right? Yeah, about a, been about a year. That's crazy. Crazy. <laughs> I know, crazy. time flies. Today, we're going to talk about the history of Central Avenue in South Central. And I still call it South Central. We could discuss of maybe other, now people call it other things. Just in my own personal opinion, I just know it as South Central. And I keep it that way. But we could discuss that. In, in, but we're going to discuss the history of a Central Avenue and why that uh, the Central Avenue is so important. Let us know, Sabrina, why you chose this topic, Central Avenue. Like, what came to mind when, when you wanted to discuss this? Well, when we were brainstorming weeks ago, a month ago, of what our next podcast episode was going to be, it reminded me of the day when we were adventuring and we stopped by that Banish Moorish Theater. The Lincoln Theater. We were discussing the jazz, and the, I really had no idea about how jazzy it was over there in South Central, not so far back. And I wanted to really uh, get in and dig into the history of South Central and the jazz movement there that no one seems to know about. Yeah, at least from the perspective growing up, I don't think that it was never discussed. We we tied in Hood Historian because he's been a pretty great researcher of the Eagle, right? The One yeah. of the main prominent Black newspapers during that time. Bring him to share some of the research he has found on Central Avenue. Another reason is jazz in general. I love jazz. I go to New Orleans as often as possible and the connection to jazz so close to home that I didn't even know about. It it brings a part of New Orleans in a way here just down the street, not far from me. And I'm sad that I didn't know this in history. And I'm so glad that we got to bring it to you guys today. Yeah, absolutely. So yeah, because I could say the only time I was told some kind of jazz thing happened there was one like 10 years ago I was going down Slauson with some friends taking photos low-key tagging I have to admit and I seen a bus stop with like a saxophone <laughs> on it and it said it was near Slauson and Central and like I think uh, Wilmington around that area and I'm like and I seen it said like a uh, jazz corridor or something like that yeah and I didn't really I was like oh interesting but nothing's ever been said about it fully maybe because i didn't research it at the time but also it was never discussed or brought up what about for you uh, as far as central avenue it's something you already knew about yeah so for me i i knew about it i've seen it on kcet in the past but things like that but in general unless your grandparents lived there i'm from long beach i didn't know until i've seen it on saw it on public you know public television like kcet right reading the old newspapers Seeing old jazz documentaries, a lot of jazz artists, they came to the motherland of entertainment, L.A., a lot of Black artists. They couldn't even stay in the hotels downtown L.A. They had to do their own, and they built Central Avenue for their own entertainment, um, their own hotels, Mm-hmm. food I think all that ties into segregation it was built because they couldn't go over there and and do things you know with the mainstream so they built their own and yeah. I, I like that I mean yeah. I 
I mean, they, I like things like that when they just built their own and didn't depend on anybody. Mm-hmm. Sometimes you just have to do it yourself. And that's what they did back then. I would like to take this opportunity for you guys and all of our listeners to close your eyes just for a minute and think about South Central. What is the first kind of words that you come up with or the thoughts that you come up with when you think of South Central? And it's okay. We're learning here, guys, you know, but it's important to think about this. And this is where the stigma of South Central comes from. What do we think of? I'll go first. Go ahead. The first thing I thought of is, you know, the way I was raised and how I was raised. I think of South Central. I kind of think of riots. I think of maybe ghetto. It's not a nice area. That's what I thought of. For me, yeah, it was it was just more like the hood, right? And I think of the movies, you know, some of the movies that portray South Central. Rap. Uh, rap has a big... And, and rap in itself is developed from there maybe in the later, later years. But uh, how rap portrayed it, you know, Ice Cube, South Central and all that. And in the graffiti world, when I was in the graffiti world, it, we didn't really paint too much of South Central because it was dangerous as far as like getting shot at and things like that. So we kind of like were careful where we painted in South Central. So it was always like the negative and rap. I'm not saying it's negative fully, but like it was more of like that stigma, which what we're going to learn today is the total opposite. So it's like, wow. What about you, Huda Historian? Well, well, I thought of, um, you know, you see that on TV and the media the bad portrayals of South Central, but then you meet people from LA. One of my middle school teachers, she she was from South Central and she was a you know educated, educated, bright lady. She taught French. So she was from South Central. Um it's just like the community, community vibe they had out there. Lamert Park, further west, Watts. So it's like they had all this, all these different neighborhoods within, you know, South Central. You just you uh, something you heard about in the 90s growing up, you know, in the 80s yeah. and 90s, you know? Mm-hmm. So it was in the South Central was on the map, you know, and when we was coming up. South Central was ground zero for everything in the 90s, you know? Rap, the riots. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I, don't, I guess because we're the same generation, all of us. So we, yeah. we do remember more than 90s. <laughs> yeah. 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 <laughs> so I could see why we, we all kind of have that that 90s perspectives because we're around the same age but I, I the hopes of this episode was to really teach something that we just never got taught like especially uh, mexican-americans latinos like they don't just like what we talked about sleepy lagoon yeah they didn't teach us that either exactly exactly you know? so yeah. th- this reminds me of like the sleepy lagoon type of uh atmosphere and era um, and, and in order not to like demonize it how they did at those in those days that's that's a good uh way and to it's, and like the neighborhood central central avenue was the was the point for small businesses you know entertainment and everything it would be south central if it wasn't for the working people and the people of the neighborhood you know so exactly. like the, the masses they went to work every day they paid their taxes they wanted to eat they wanted entertainment. They wanted their relatives to have some place to stay. It really, it really was the focal point of the community at the time. Right, right, exactly. So we're, we're gonna start just some of the themes of the of the podcast. We're, we're gonna start about the early history of Central Avenue, how it the West Coast jazz movement came to Central. And then of course, since we talk about architecture here in this podcast a lot. We're going to talk about some of the significant buildings and architecture that that were there 
were once there because a lot is not there no more. And some of that are still there, you know, luckily they got saved. And then from there, uh, Hood Historians going to talk about some of the businesses. We're going to show some of the ads they had back then. And also during the architecture, uh, Sabrina is going to talk about the Dunbar Hotel, which was a, a focal point as well. How did, how did the vibrance of South Central, I'm sorry, Central Avenue end? Because it did have an ending point and there was reasons for that. We'll discuss that and kind of like what we feel about it today. You know, I do have thoughts about today. Basically, Central Avenue began its roots with the migration of African-Americans from the South during the early turn of the century. There was like different waves beginning World War One, World War Two, And a lot of the, the waves were because of California opportunity. So there was like thousands and thousands of African-Americans that migrated from the South during like that period of time because of the opportunities there was here. Also the war efforts provided them um, be able to get working in the jobs and in industries because now you're able, they were able to uh, participate in work opportunities during those war efforts. It was said by 1940s, there was about 4 million African-Americans that migrated to California, LA specifically. We can't, you know, during that time, obviously there was still uh, segregation as, you know, Hood Historian mentioned. It was from the research, it probably was not as, they said overt like it was in the South, right? But it was still happening. It just was happening in a different type of twisted way. Yes. Because, and I didn't, you know, that's something that we have to really be mindful of because it was still was happening, even though what they say, California or LA was a free, or what did they call it? A union, non-union state or whatever at the time? I mean, it was a non-Confederate state, you know? It's still, it was still the same, you know? It wasn't like the South. But it still had, it was still the same. You couldn't buy a house where you wanted to buy a house. You couldn't work where you wanted to work. If you had the money, you could have, you can't buy a house. You could, you could be balling and they were like, nope. Exactly. You know? Learned from the Chinese massacre. We've learned from Sleepy Lagoon. It was the same all the way around. Yes. There were lines drawn up and if you were non-white, you couldn't live in the broader areas. And South Central is no exception to that role, unfortunately. So you can only imagine a huge migration that would have happened during, you know, as Doña Junta mentioned, the World War, the First World War, or the Second. Huge migration, and because of the redlining, you're stuck in one area. So you can imagine that instead of building further, you're building up, and houses get tighter. and, And so you can only imagine how that sets the tone for the oncoming decades Exactly. And at the time, African-Americans had the the opportunity to be lower middle class and they did have opportunity to buy homes. But and there's a reason why that how he said it was hard. The area was central and 41st was considered the heart of the African-American community. Uh, We'll talk about the Dunbar Hearst Somerville Hotel why that was important. And some numbers just to kind of see by 1930 is 17,000 people migrated to that area. 1940, about 25,000. The huge influx in the 40s after World War II was about 50,000 during that time. And what led the people to Central Avenue, again, was not necessarily by choice. There was a strict law or policies called housing covenant, which made it really, really hard for African-Americans to buy homes in areas outside of the Central Avenue. So basically that law stated that if you're an owner, you can't sell to basically uh, black people. It was stated in in that freaking law, you know, housing covenant. 
and they only allowed a certain vicinity, which is the vicinity we're talking about, Central. Central started around downtown, around 1st, and it led all the way to Watts. So all kind of like that main area there was around the Jefferson, Adams, 4040s. And it kind of like spread through the time, right, where everything was kind of at. I read in some articles, uh, they referred to South Central in those days and any area that housed Black bodies. So it wasn't just, and it, that's hard to picture now because we have cities, you know, like in micro cities and larger cities. But can you imagine that? So everywhere, everywhere that a, a Black body, you know, where they live in population that's considered South Central. Yeah. So when you think of that like that, that's, that's just, you know, it's definitely redlining. It's blatant and it's, and it's purposeful to keep people segregated from the white the broader white community. Yeah. And even but, though even though they call it South Central, as I put, pointed out on my page before, like each neighborhood had its own name, okay. you know, but our own, you know, each neighborhood had its own area, like uh, Vermont Knows, uh, Vermont Vista, uh, Central Alameda. It's just South Central, you know? That's yeah. true. There's those yeah, little so, nooks, those neighborhoods. Yeah. And, and I see the signs now, and people forget, like, okay, this is uh, Florence and Firestone. This is, like you yes. said, Vermont Knowles. They're not as highlighted, which I think is exactly. That's not fair. I mean, no one, no one cares about that in South Central. But if you go somewhere else, oh, this is this neighborhood. This is that neighborhood. But South Central has the same thing, you know. And you right. can tell you're going into a different neighborhood because the way the street layouts are. It might be a different layout. The street might be wider. These houses might be different, right? You know, right. once you go across a certain street, but it's all South Central, and that's that's not a bad thing. You know, we embrace that name, but we accept that name. You know. Yeah, and there's yeah. there's that came later on in time, and I read some history of why it was called that later, but I think it had to do with like rap music in the '80s and '70s and '80s. It was more established South Central, and there's more history on that, why that happened. Yeah. So that because the housing covenant, also because uh, Blacks were excluded from pools, beaches, and dining areas, and they had to basically have, you know, create their own neighborhood, like you said. And yes. even the fire department was excluded. The white fire department couldn't help the Black neighborhood, so they had to make their own fire department. Yes. Which is like, I think that people complain about like, Oh, now is this enough? It's been like this for so long. Like it wasn't all cozy back in those days, you know, like it yeah. was really messed up. It shows you how the institution, the institutions that we are supposed to depend on are built on racism. So there's no wonder why we have police brutality that and prison pipeline. There's, there's no, no one. I mean, I, I know some people are very ignorant to the situation, but it, from its very root, racism has drawn a line in the sand and yes the problem it's not and the, the thing is like we're, we we're, we might be in 2022 but we are still feeling the effects of that right like how can a group of people have a head start for hundreds of years and, and like they have a head start it's not fair they have hundreds of years to build um wealth and everything else and and protected by laws now they're saying oh we are equal well, we might be all equal. We didn't get the hundreds of years of a head start. Right. We didn't get the, you know, we didn't get the free houses in the 1940s in the in the suburbs when the blacks and the non-whites 
uh, Asians and uh, Latinos moved in. Their houses were built are you know in the 1900s, so those houses were already falling apart by the 40s and 50s. You know the the housing boom. Those houses were built in 1940s and 50s. They were brand new houses, right? And zero percent down. You know, so it's like they get houses, brand new houses. Now we have to all fight for these few houses in this one neighborhood. Yeah, crazy. So, yeah, conditions got horrible. Exactly. They they did mention that Slauson was a racial boundary, so maybe beyond Slauson was more of the white, because I know at one time Compton was more white. A lot of those other cities, uh, Southgate and all those other cities were all white too. And if you ever moved out of the area like if you try to move into a different area not in that uh, you would be met with intimidation violence your house get raided so it was like a huge deal yeah. I, I also read that there was a family that moved to i think it was riverside and their house was bombed wow and the whole family hurt. so that was another thing another another tactic black people used minorities specifically black people we're speaking about right now out of their community. And a lot of times the police were in cahoots or they looked the other way. Right. Now, sometimes you might get a, a, an arrest or something like that, but a lot of times they looked the other way. And, yeah, and no. the masses, even though like some white, they didn't want anything to do with that, but they didn't say nothing because they had their house, they had their family to take care of. So a lot of people just looked the other way. The right. masses. No, Again, the housing covenants caused that the area to be restricted. There was one area which is it's not on central, but it's called the furlough track. And it was an area near Vernon uh, where they allowed black people to buy lots. I think there was a guy named James Furlow. He was a white guy and he kept, he was he wanted to sell lots to to black people because he just felt like, oh, you know, like and you know where that's at now? The Pueblo, the real housing project of Alameda. Oh, the Pueblos, yeah. that used to be a, called the furlough track. Wow. And that's where uh, Blacks were allowed originally the, to buy some of the homes and lots in the area before the projects came up. Wow, and I was going to talk about that area also in South Central in general. The city, they, um, they really lacks the zoning laws over there. So it, it might be a commercial building next to a house or you see... You see that a lot in South Central. You know, you might, you know, there was like lots of commercial buildings with toxic waste next to a house. Uh, you go to some other neighborhood, the zoning was real strict on commercial yeah. and residential, but in LA and South Central, you see a lot of uh, commercial and houses right next to each other. They didn't other. care about the zoning at that exactly. point. <laughs> it, yeah. It's crazy. So just to kind of continue how it developed, the community started to develop its own vibrant place. Central became the center of the African-American community. There was clubs, theaters, eateries, music venues. And it's interesting because all races and classes gathered here. Um, it wasn't just black, like they would, you know, other races would come because they were allowed, right? You know, yeah. they, they gathered here. All, but the funny thing that, it's not funny, actually, there was hardly any press attention by the LA Times given yes. to them. The California Eagle, as, you know, Hood Historian's research partner right there, yeah. they were the only ones that really highlighted. The only time the LA Times would come would be like once in a great while. And the only time they, they would write something was when it was a negative feature about Central yeah. Avenue. Oh, some robbery, some murder, something like that would, would yeah. be negative. To this day, it sucks because there's a lot of things were lost 
because it was never documented yes. how it should have been. The California Eagle was on Central. We'll talk about those that building soon. Basically, they just the whole community was built because of all these racial segregation. And one of the greatest things that came out of that was the West Coast Jazz. Did you, and I didn't know about that originally. I know Sabrina didn't. And did you, I know you were, you're a musician, right? Uh, when you were in high school? Yes. Did I they was talk about band. that? Yeah, we talked about um, jazz across the country because the jazz is American. So mm -hmm. yeah, we talked about that. And then doing my own research, watching documentaries, there was tons of clubs in LA, not only in New York, you know, Chicago. So this is one of the stops. Central Avenue was one of the stops when you, yeah. you when you made it big. It was just one of the many stops the greats played. Not just not just Hollywood, yeah. Central Avenue. Right. And that's yeah. like, what the heck, man? Like yeah, you're right. A lot of the influence of the jazz came from New Orleans, Harlem, New York, Chicago, Kansas City, because of the migration, everybody brought their influence. And yes. it started the West Coast jazz movement over here. So, I mean, that's, I don't know, to me, when I seen, heard that, I was like, I, I feel like, again, it wasn't as, why didn't we have a, ish, a topic like that in our history classes, right? It it's was important there. California history. Yes, it is. A lot of culture down there that was yeah. once down there. When we think of famous people we and famous performers, a lot of those famous performers performed in on central and a lot of the clubs and stayed at the Dunbar, but yes. they had to walk out, excuse me. They had to walk out like the back door if they were in Hollywood. Yes. And on the flip side, those white people that were being entertained in Hollywood could come see them at the Dunbar, not vice versa. You yeah. know, so it's, it's a pretty interesting because we don't think about so much entertainment in one area when we think of it, we think of it all in, you know, Hollywood or the likes of that or in downtown Los Angeles, but not necessarily in this small or smaller area, more condensed yeah. area. You know, the, the jazz clubs were some of the best jazz clubs around, right? All around Central. And I kind of, at the, at the end, when we talk about our thoughts now, it's really sad because you don't see none of that anymore. It's pretty much washed out. But there was a, a lot of amazing clubs. Did you get to look into any? I know the uh, Club Alabama. Yeah, the ones that you mentioned, those are all the, the ones that I saw. I didn't see too much. And a lot of this, we were both talk, discussing this a little bit earlier, me and Doña Junta. A lot of this information is hard to find. But we did all the, the Club Alabama was a very popular club. I think it was, I'm trying to find the address. We went to go see it, but obviously it's no longer there as a club or as it's just a building, a facade of something else. But it's yeah. from described, it's down the way from the Dunbar and the Dunbar is still there. So you could still go see the Dunbar. Yeah. So some of the clubs were Casa Blanca, Club Joy, Cafe Zombie, Love Joys. There was just tons. I mean, we could probably can't even name them all because they were just up and down the, the strip of, of Central from downtown all the way to watch. I would love to see that. And there's hardly any pictures of any of that. Yeah. Did you find any on the newspapers or not really? I, I did, but like I said, I, I'm having technical difficulties on my on my archives. So the, the ads I do have are the ones I already clipped out already. So maybe there's some ads left, but as far as actual photos, it, it was hard to find just 
basic photos. Oh yeah, photos like the of, photos. Yeah, the... it's hard to find basic photos because it was just wasn't documented like the like the LA Times would have done it. The California Eagle they have some awesome photographers, but even then it's hard to it's hard to find because it's just it was just a strip of couple of miles you know it's just hard to find actually over. it was pretty long i think they said like 14 miles like if you count from yeah. watch to downtown yeah. but yeah like it was just the fact that it was not as important to mainstream society to document it yes you know what i mean and that's why i like the california eagle because the california eagle has the advertisements different clubs smaller clubs the mainstream clubs and all these restaurants and they some of them have entertainment that's awesome that that was there. Sadly, it was, it's we have to be the ones to bring it to light because it's not seen anymore. We just have to use our imagination and imagine how it looked at the time. I mean, Hollywood Boulevard and Sunset and all those, you know, streets, they're still there from when it started and it still looks like that. Yeah. We have to, we, we have to imagine how central was because it's no longer that. And the thing is, it, this that reminds me of Nifty Hustle because Nifty Hustle wanted to turn uh, Crenshaw and Slauson back into a destination. He oh, wanted really? people to come. Yeah, N Nifty Hustle wanted Crenshaw and Slauson to be a destination for his marathon store and other businesses. There's no need to go to La, La Brea or shop downtown or Hollywood or Beverly Hills. You can do it all in South Central on Crenshaw Boulevard. So he had that vision to bring community back. Oh, in the, uh, so he had that vision over there, you know, farther west in the Crenshaw area. The infrastructure is there. You know, the buildings are still, a lot of buildings are still there. The way the, uh, the neighborhood is set up, even in Compton, the city of Compton, Compton Boulevard, if you go down Compton Boulevard, it has businesses, uh, commercial buildings lined up. They always been there since like 1920s and 30s. A lot of storefronts are empty, but then I think about a city like Huntington Park. Huntington, Huntington Park, what was that? Santa Fe Avenue? We have they have all those shops. Yeah. That place is thriving. That strip is, you know, it's been like that. Those buildings are from the 1920s and 30s also. Yeah. Yeah. And it's like they have their own destination in HP. You know, why can't Central Avenue do that again? Why cannot? Why can't Compton Avenue, Compton Boulevard, do that again? No, you know? that's very and, true. And, very yeah. True. So. People, people go to Huntington Park to shop on that street, you know? We know about it, you know? And people in other cities know about it. And I'm not even, uh, you know, I'm a black dude and I know about HP in those, <laughs> in those neighborhoods, you know, that strip of businesses right there. I like stuff like that, you know? Because people are making money, people are getting entertained, people are shopping in an old area that's always been like that because the infrastructure is there already. They don't have to build anything new. Everything's there already. I agree. And that's the thing. It's why isn't this happening? Um, just yeah. to go back to, I, I, I do have the list of the names of the clubs. So the famous jazz clubs, the some of the main ones was, again, Club Alabama, the Apex, the Downbeat, the Flame, Casa Blanca, Club Joy, Cafe Society, Cafe Zombie, Love Joys. So, I mean, those, that's just a little handful, right? But... I mean, imagine these places still there. I mean, that would have been amazing. Yeah. For a couple of them, shit. Yeah. A couple of them. You know what? And the music lives on through the people. And when we talk about Jefferson High, I'll talk about how that was very important with the jazz era. Uh, some of the jazz that developed here was jazz, bebop, 
I guess it's a certain type of jazz. Do you know that? Yeah. What, what, how would you describe that? Dizzy Gillespie, Dizzy Gillespie, he was into bebop. It was just uh, a lot of syncopated rhythms. Okay. You know, so it's hard to describe, but. Well, but you got to send me bebop. something so I could add it to the audio. Uh, yes. And it was a lifestyle, too. You know, they had to look. They had the little. Oh, really? Yeah, it was like. That's cool. Yeah, it was a way. way they, they had the, the bebop ones. So if you send me some audio, we'll add it here so people could hear that. Some of okay. the bebop. But mm -hmm. I guess that kind of started here based on all the influence from everything. And then next, we're going to kind of go into some of the significant architecture of Central that is there and not there. But the main hub of everything was the Dunbar Hotel before it used to be Somerville. And Sabrina's going to talk about that. Let me just pull up a couple of photos. Let me just share my screen. For those that are watching on YouTube, you can see that. And I'll describe what I'm sharing now. This is just a, a corner of Central Avenue, a random corner with some shops, which doesn't look like this anymore. No. Yeah. I, I did a I did a dinner now of that building. Oh, like you did? A couple of years ago. Yeah, nice. before I did the videos, yeah, it was just a... How does yeah. it look now? It looks the same, actually. It's just some of the windows been filled up. Oh, yeah. yeah. So here's a view of the Dunbar on Central over here on the part of it. If you want to go ahead and... Uh, let me just jump to the Central, the Dunbar. So if you want to go ahead and... Why was this place so important to Central well, Avenue? As a hood historian was saying earlier, you know, we have the African-American community making their community. They had no help from anyone else. They had to make their community, literally. A married couple named John and Veda, or Vada uh, Somerville, they were graduates of USC and in dentistry. They purchased the building and made, or purchased that spot and made the Somerville Hotel. It was very, very important. It was built in 1928, and it was to be first-class lodgings for African-Americans in their community as very important influential people that are black African-American could not stay in anywhere else. They couldn't stay in any nice hotels anywhere in Los Angeles, as we've already discussed. And it was really important as they had one, they built it for the first convention, uh, West Coast convention of the NAACP. That's really, really important. Very large, very nice hotel, over a hundred rooms. Art de deco lobby with cafes and restaurant, a beauty parlor. It was really the hub of the Black culture in South Central and on Central Avenue. Many prominent people would commune there from the very beginning. Eventually, due to the, the stock market crash, the 20s, we believe that's part of the reason why the Somervilles had to get rid of or not get rid of, I had to give up the Somerville Hotel. When they let go of the hotel, it it was it went through many different hands. There were many different owners until what it is today. We have a gentleman named Lucius Lomax, and he changed the name to Dunbar Hotel. And he changed it to honor Paul Lawrence Dunbar, the African-American poet. There's a couple of his poems that are one specifically that's very popular, at least a couple of the phrases uh the lines from one of his poems that Maya Angelou uh, repeated her own self. And I had no, did, I didn't know anything about that. So it was really interesting to find this information. It was owned by a gentleman named Reverend Major Jealous Divine for a time in 1936. A gentleman named James Jimmy Nelson 
with his nephew, Silas King Jr. owned it and they wanted to make it the hub of the jazz to what we know, what we're talking about now. And they wanted to give it a mix of the Waldorf to make it look similar and have the vibe of the Waldorf Astoria and the Cotton Club. So a mix between the two of them. At some point in 1957, Dallas King's son purchased the hotel and then he had to sell it in 19, in the mid sixties, it, it went to different hands throughout the time. But when we're, we're catching, we're going too far ahead of ourselves because by that time, the jazz had already dwindled during the reign of the jazz. It would have been around the time that uh, Lucius Lomax and Silas King Jr. had hold and care for it and molded it to be the jazz hub that it was. It's really important that we highlight John and Vada Somerville and their efforts to build the, the, the Somerville Hotel, which, be, which became the Dunbar Hotel. And um, in my readings, I was reading about, and picture this, guys, the Somerville Hotel being described as any given day, someone, a stranger, could just walk down the street and see famous people in the lobby. Many people built their careers by just randomly meeting people playing jazz or seeing a famous person there. We got to remember that this, this building that you're looking at right now, that was where the creme de la creme of African-American performers stayed at. This yeah. is where they stayed at. You can imagine how famous people are, especially musicians where they have all night mu music sessions. This is where they stayed at. And so this, it gives me, I'm getting chills talking about it right now. Me and Doña Junta uh, went to go visit it. And that was an amazing thing. And we'll talk about that later. It gives me chills to think about what happened from its beginning days in the 19, late 1920s, 1928, from the meeting, the West Coast meeting with the NAACP and all the things that they talked about, about, you know, beautifying or adding to the community or protecting their community down to this vibrant jazz. This community, it had a beautiful culture and we know nothing about it. And I can't help but think that that's a purpose that they purposely hid this shit, but why? And I guess we can think about that for a minute and discuss that part later. And you mentioned that, cause we did visit the hotel and we'll say the story of how we got in. <laughs> <laughs> but there was like one of the top prime famous uh, musicians where they're like- Oh yeah. Kelly Holiday, Duke Ellington, like so many people. It's yes. Like, wow. Yes. <laughs> Louis Armstrong. I mean, I have a list right here. I'll tell you guys yeah. just a couple. Lena Horne, Cab Calloway, Ella Fitzgerald, Sammy Davis Jr. In the Dunbar, we saw big photos of Dorothy Dandridge performing there. I mean, wow. Dorothy Dandridge. I mean, like, it, and again, I'm getting chills because I love these people. Duke Ellington, Bass, Bessie Smith, and a bunch of other people that are very important, but are maybe not as known. Like, this was the hub of music yeah. and culture in Los yeah. Angeles and jazz. So you can, I don't know, especially when I go to New Orleans, when you hear the jazz, that wasn't just that, even though it came from there, it was right here, just down yes, the street. It was. And if you see the photos of the people and there is, it's hard to find photos, but I did see some and you just see these beautiful people and these beautiful black women with their hair, in the 1930s, 1940s with the yes. big flowers. And just like you think of the 1940s, you think of white women or we think of our, you know, zoot suitors and you see these other women and they're all jazzed up in their silk and 
I just think mm -hmm. of rum and cigarettes and I can smell it. Like, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it makes me so happy. And then yes. it's bad because it's been lost. It seems like there's a revitalization and we'll talk about that later. But the Dunbar Hotel is so special and so important because it was the, the hub for the Black community in South Central. I know. And I, I really enjoyed exploring it that time. Did, did, were you pretty aware of the Dunbar um, from your research? Yeah, uh, yes, I was. I was very aware of the Dunbar. I drove, I never made it inside like you guys, but you know, <laughs> I, I made pilgrimage. Uh, I made a pilgrimage over there many times, you know. If you don't know, you'll drive right past it. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. yeah, you don't know you drive right past it. <laughs> I think we did you know? initially. Yeah. yeah. We did. Yeah. We had to turn right in. <laughs> A block and come back. Next, we're just going to go over some of the architecture, uh, other buildings that are significant, and then we'll get into the businesses that Hood Historian um, talks about in some of the ads. So again, this is yeah. a view of Central during the heyday. This is more uh, towards the downtown part. So yeah. during the heyday, this does not look like this anymore. No. <laughs> this is 1940s. I love this theater. It's the Lincoln Theater. Yes. This is a, a photo from the 50s, but the Lincoln Theater was actually built in 1926 in Moorish-style architecture. I hadn't been to it until maybe last year when we we were just doing some exploring, and I ran into it in, online. I'm like, what the heck? This, this theater looks amazing, and it's been shut down. Well, it's kind of a church. You know how that goes with the churches. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. But it's still pretty kept original on the outside. It's not some of the history of it is not what you would think it would be now because again, the churches they bought it, they could rent it and it's lost its what a uh, character ish. I I wish it could be restored to what it was, you know, back in the days. That would be amazing. Beautiful. It is I mean, gorgeous. Even like the Mayan theater that's still used as a venue or club and stuff like that, it, this one never really made it that far. It kind of more got bought by the churches. Again, maybe money was involved. There's nobody that wanted to take it on. This is another one, 28th Street YMCA. This one we kind of ran into. Well, it was an accident. We were looking for it. Wow. We, we kind of went in there on accident. <laughs> 28th Street YMCA was a YMCA that was specifically for uh, Black because they were not allowed at any other YMCA. Remember the pools and beaches were, were restricted. So this was like a pool and, you know, uh, obviously an athletic area and things like that for specifically for the neighborhood, because again, no, they were not allowed to go anywhere else, which is crazy to even say, but this is yeah. the main hub of where you could go recreational sports, swimming at this YMCA. So it's a pretty important place. And it was at the time. And still is. It's not a YMCA anymore. It is low-income housing for formerly homeless, low-income folks. So they did try to save as much as they can and kind of the spirit of it. We did get a chance to go in, which we will share towards the end about the today <laughs> part. <laughs> yeah. But you see right there, it's a boys entrance and the men's entrance, which I thought that was interesting. I wonder why that would be. I mean, if it is that just like well, the reason why the YMCA was there in the very beginning before the recreational purposes is it was it served as housing for like we talk about the, the migration of many African-Americans from the South. Right. So mm -hmm. not all of them had families or had income and they okay. needed yeah. somewhere to stay. And this is where you would stay if you had nowhere else to stay. 
and it offered you a place to stay, you know, like you, you hear the, the old song, it's fun to stay at the YMCA. It's like, oh, you know, yeah, that's, that's where you stay until you can get on your feet or you get a job or you go to school or so forth. So it was really like, I don't want to say a homeless shelter, but it, it was more than that. Right. Uh, but it was yeah. needed. And it was, I think they, wow. they, it, it was there as the first American American, I think in what I read on it, it said colored and I hate yeah. that word, but that's what it said. The first colored, YMCA. not unit, but YMCA. Yeah. Have you, did you coast. go here at Historic? Have you no, seen it? I mean, I, I don't even remember it. I don't remember this building. It's nice. It was, it jumps out at you. Yeah. That's tell on you. the side street. Yeah. yeah I don't even, I, I don't remember seeing this. <laughs> Yeah, it's cool. It's across the street from a Victorian, and then they have an island in the middle now. We just, I think we found it by chance, right? Well, we were looking wow. for it, but I didn't think it was still like pretty. Uh, it looks like that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It yeah. still has. I see somebody really. I don't remember it. Wow. <laughs> Maybe I have. I don't know. But it well, now nice. it's a 28 Street Apartments, but it it they kind of kept the 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 outside pretty because yeah. uh, it's a registered landmark too, so yeah. they couldn't change a lot of it. Yeah, a lot of times, you know, when they do that, at least they have the outside. Yeah, they got the inside, yeah. but the outside. I like. I can dig. I can dig that. Right. And I'll tell you what, yeah. we went beyond the facade that day. You guys are bold. I, I, I don't know. I'm a, I'm a, I'm just walking in. We're going to bring you along one day. <laughs> yeah, you got to remember, I'm a paranormal investigator. I'm used okay. to walking into random okay. places and getting where I can get in. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> the Jefferson High School. The reason I want to bring this up, not only because architecture is great, obviously yeah. the streamlined modern. And I we found this on accident the first time. Um, <laughs> I probably passed by there, but I never like look, look until you know how we have different eyes now because we look at history now. Exactly. So <laughs> yes. Yeah. So it popped that at me and I'm like, oh, okay, it does have a great history because this is actually the second building. The first building was destroyed in a 1933 quake that we all love that destroyed all of beautiful Gothic classical. Yeah. But you know, I can't hate on that. This building is just as good. Jefferson High is right there in the neighborhood uh, off Central Avenue. And uh, why it's significant is because so many of the musicians, um, actors, a lot of people came out of the school. This guy, he was one of the, the main music teacher, Samuel R. Brown of Jefferson High School from 1936 to 1961. And he's a graduate of USC, the first black graduate from the School of Music. He graduated with honors, traveled as a musician, doing different things before he got started teaching at Jefferson. So he first got a job at the YMCA that we just looked at, doing some kind of class, I think at night. And then he was like, man, I, I had grew up on Central. He went to Jefferson High. He wanted to give back. So he, he decided to apply there. Now, mind you, Jefferson High was an all-Black student school, but the, the faculty was all white. Administration was all white. You know, I didn't really even put that into perspective. Like, they, they didn't allow Black teachers to teach. And he, yeah. He took the risk and he applied and they let him teach at night at first, at night, like a night class. Wow. <laughs> Got to keep him in the dark, right? So he, he started teaching a night class music and then little by little, as he started uh, getting more uh, prominence there, he, they 
pretty much gave him, you know, full-time status. But uh, originally, uh, when he first applied and got the job at night, a lot of the faculty, like the white faculty, like they fled. They're like, oh, we were transferring. We don't want to be here. I'm like, so he started teaching and he was like one of those people that was like, he went in all the way. Like he used to be at the school at six in the morning and leave six at, in the afternoon. He worked seven days. He was just like the most dedicated music teacher that you'll, you'll, I guess, ever meet according wow. to what they said. He, he basically was a, a great influence to some of the people that ended up being coming famous musicians that played later on in the clubs on Central. Let me tell you so, how they described him. So Dr. Brown, they said he wasn't intimidating. He was commanding. Thin and soft-spoken, he stood spine straight, over six feet tall, impeccably dressed and professional three-piece suits, pressed pocket handkerchiefs, and shoes that gleam like glass. So he came came like a pro every single day. He showed up. Yes. And I could imagine somebody like that. You see that in movies like this renowned, like, professor people respect. But, like, he was the real deal. I wonder where he lived. uh, After or during... Like during, like he must have lived in the neighborhood. You think? Yeah, he did, cause he yeah. he grew up there, and you know he lived there. Well, he did go to USC, and the yeah. he said it was hard when he was at USC, cause it was expensive still at the time, and he had to like shine shoes in downtown. His aunt and uncle yeah. helped pay for it. He had to work on weekends in the church choir or church music or something like that. So that helped pay for his school at the time. Now it's probably even more unaffordable, but for him, he did whatever he could to to pay for the school. While he was teaching at Jefferson, he brought like people like Nat King Cole, Lionel Hamilton, Stan Kenton, Jimmy Lucifer, Shelly Maine, George Shearing, Essel Waters, all these people that were like already prominent musicians to, to come to show their so students. So, wow. So they came in and sat in? Yeah. Wow. Yeah, yeah. we had a couple We had a couple people um, sit in our classes when I went to Bali in the 90s. Oh, okay. And your music class? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, I would imagine that would have been inspiring. But that, that was like the golden, <laughs> golden era names right there, you know? Right? <clears throat> wow. Yes, and then somebody quoted all musicians and music was happening at Jefferson. This guy, this man, he was just just a, the elite of the elite for music and brought so many people on and inspired so many young people. And uh, just overall, Jefferson does have a lot of uh, people that that uh, graduated for all kinds of different things over the years. Um, um, yeah. Well, politicians, um, there's uh, journalists, there's actors, like all kinds of people came from Jefferson. So it, it has a lot of um, respect in that sense. Even though we, again, we don't hear about some of these these schools yeah. that you hear about these elite preppy schools, but not, you know, the school in the hood that brought some amazing people out. Another one was the Black Panther office, which we had no idea that was right there on Central. It looks like a plain old building now with no kind of anything or spirit of it so did you guys know about this did you know about this office yeah i know about the office yeah it's it's not very um it's you can't you can't distinguish it yeah you yeah you will drive right past it another building you will drive right by the building's still there but it just doesn't have any kind of anything i think it's just a regular trinket shop or something like that yeah that's uh sad 
And then here you go. If you want to get into like some of the businesses, uh, what was going on on Central Business Wise? Because okay, yeah. So business wise, it was just like any other neighborhood. You know, uh, we needed to eat. We needed uh, repairs. We needed our laundry done. Mm -hmm. So everything was. We had black people had their own because they couldn't be in the mix with others, and not because of their goal. You know, their they're they're doing so they had to make it work and this is showcasing how they made it work yep now check this out perfection bakery store just so, like in the other neighborhood they had their own bakery so for uh those that are uh are here in the audio what does it say if you want to read the ads maybe yes it says it says try our delicious pumpkin pies during the holidays Oops. at per <laughs> and, <laughs> I'm trying to sound off like a commercial. Yeah, <laughs> I know. I liked your diction there. Yeah. Perfect. Yeah. So it's called. So the place is called Perfection Bakery Store, and the address was 3815 Central Avenue. Right. So obviously, I clipped this out of a, a holiday holiday uh, issue. Mm -hmm. This is from the California Eagle. Yes, yeah, so just to uh, piggyback on the California Eagle, I just looked up real quick when that started, and it started in 1879 with John ne Neilmore. He started that newspaper. And one thing yeah. I did learn was the Los Angeles Sentinel was also a black newspaper, which yeah. I had no idea. They don't they don't say yeah. it. It's still that's still around. They're they there on Crenshaw. But they yeah. don't say it. They don't not yeah. them now, but they didn't say yeah. it really back then. Or they yeah. in the research, it doesn't come up like at all. Yeah. So. That was too sad. But anyway. they have a, they have a, the Sentinel has an Instagram page also. Okay, yeah. we got to follow yeah. that. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah they're, they're still around. Yeah. Okay. Okay. So we got uh, a couple more ads here. What are we seeing here? So we have a um, the new Club Alabama <laughs> advertisement, and then um, the Taco. I think this this ad is from the 1950s, and uh, the Taco Corner, and that's you know that's on Western Avenue, you know, off of Central. Mm -hmm. But then we got Shakey's number two. It looks like American food on 35th and Central. Obviously, it's a second location. The businesses were thriving, you know? Little small businesses were, were, were driving. Were, were driving. You can just drive up to Western. You can drive up to Central. You can drive down um, Cheddar Brabber. That's um, Martin Luther King today. They had their they had their own their own, their own community. It was called Shakey's Fabulous number one? It says Shakey's number two. Oh, okay. And, um, I don't know what kind of restaurant it was. But and they, fried shrimps, their specialty. Yeah. It looks amazing. Yeah. Yeah. It sounds amazing. Sounds At least good. Now I'm hungry. Yes. Yeah, I'm starving Exactly. Okay. okay, so check this out. So we have a just a general TV stereo repair shop. And just like any other neighborhood, people needed their TVs repaired and, and their, um, fixed uh -huh. out on their radios and, and TVs. They have to do it. They could have depended on no one else except for each other so this goes to show you and this is like the 19 it looks like the 1950s mm -hmm. it goes to show you that when they locked you out you just built your own <laughs> you, you don't need to you don't need to depend on others you know yeah so mm -hmm. it was just like you know this guy he has skills he started his own business on it's further south um on 49th in central but it's still uh, on central avenue and then we have um jack's joint now this place, this ad, <laughs> it makes you want to go, you know? Yes, yeah. you got to yeah. read it. Yes, and Santa Barbara Avenue, uh, Central, Santa Barbara, that's MLK. Oh, today. they changed it. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah, that's MLK, so 
I'm gonna read it. It says, when you're in the neighborhood of Santa Barbara and Central, visit Jack's Joint, where the dump jumps in the good times roll. <laughs> <laughs> Enough to satisfy every soul. <laughs> so that I don't know what that is, but the, <laughs> I don't know. The little, it looks good. It does. That's on the plate, you know. It looks I wanted juicy. to satisfy my soul. Let's go. Yeah. It looks like it has drinks too, because they have bartenders. Yeah. yeah. So <laughs> something like this, a smaller restaurant, it could have had live music, you know. So there were smaller venues like this also. They had entertainment, they had their own bar. People worked hard all day, all week, and they wanted to relax, get something to eat. They will walk over there. They will walk or drive, you know? It was in the neighborhood. Nice. They didn't have to drive across town where they wanted they wasn't wanted across town anyway. Yeah. <laughs> so like we had our own. <laughs> yeah. Did you happen to see like I know that you're you have technical difficulties, but was the uh, uh, sorry, the California Eagle have a lot of pretty much all their stories featured this area or from what they you can remember? Well as the as the times changed, they moved further, you know, LA moved west. Yeah. So so LA moved further west. They had a lot of businesses off of Western Avenue, uh, like the Golden State Mutual Building. Yes. So that that was that became the highlight of you know when they start moving west. A lot of black people start move because conditions got real crowded. Yes. So the only thing they could have done was they couldn't move across Alameda to Southgate. They they start moving west. You know, so Western Avenue, Vermont, um, Crenshaw Boulevard, the black community start moving further west. If you were prominent, you would start moving, you know, more west in L.A. to the Crenshaw area. Yeah, so. and we were going to discuss a why kind of the end of an era. Why, what, well, some of the theories of what led to that. And you, you mentioned one, too, the overcrowding. Um, there was a, a connection. Obviously, uh, the civil rights movement, the 1965, uh, the 60-watch rebellion, that yeah. all had a lot to do with some of the reasons things changed. Um, and then, Sabrina, you brought up, because people moved, it, it, it was pros and cons to that. There was definitely pros and cons. And like we were discussing earlier, the um, restrictive housing covenant, the redlining. In 1948, I believe, Shelley versus Kramer, they found it unconstitutional yeah. to bar people uh, solely on, on race. That had its pros and cons because I read in one of the articles that specifically, I think it mentioned Duke Ellington, that he would rather go to the Chateau Marmont instead of the, the Dunbar because I think it said something like white people's ice is colder or something like wow. that quote is saying, you know, he's going to chase money and opportunity. And where there was none before, now there is some. Now people that were stuck in this, you know, like little square, if you will, I know it's not a square, but bear with me, folks, in this like, you know, yeah. specific neighborhood, now they have opportunity to, to move out and grow and, and for more opportunities. So there comes some of the downfall for the loss of jazz music in the community. And I also want to bring up in one of the articles I was reading, the freeways, the bringing of the 110 and, and the 10 freeway. Uh, also just went right in the middle of South Central and it decimated homes and neighborhoods in some areas too. So 
there's there's a it's so important that we have the Shelley versus Kramer the over or you know barring it being illegal to to discriminate based on race and as far as housing is is going it also kind of self-destructed the area because they needed to expand and after World War II there was a lot of um, police hostility as well and disenfranchisement as we talk about the area being so impacted with so many different people, you know, so many people living in a small space. And while some people had opportunity, not everyone did. So you can imagine the disenfranchisement and being stuck or the feeling of being stuck and police and police brutality and harassment, which was something that was very prevalent and still to this day. So we can't imagine that, right? But yeah. it was different then because it was, you know, more... Like now it's more veiled racism where back then it would be definitely overt. So there's no wonder there was the, the Watts riot or rebellion or rise up, whatever you want to call it. It, it, sets, it sets the tone for what, what happens in, in the future and how we now see it today. Yeah, I agree. And with the Watts rebellion, obviously it was because of police brutality and it was demonized in the papers as like people going out of control and all kinds of just like any other like the alley riots, same thing it was demonized after rodney king how you said now because of shelley versus kramer you said the yeah. rate, the housing covenants was uh unconstitutional which is a, a great thing and now people were able to expand but then central was left behind at the same time and yeah. all the vibrance and everything just kind of went dwindled down and then the watts rebellion and the civil rights all of that ended up uh, kind of destroying a lot of the buildings too that were there through the years because none of that is there anymore a lot of the empty lots are still there from the watts yes. um, and it's crazy and sad you know like they never bothered to rebuild it like the city government nothing i can't help but feel that there's a reason you know i'm not a conspiracy theorist at all but i also do believe like it, it, if it makes sense it makes sense and I feel that there has to be an underlying issue where we're not taught about this vibrant community and culture and musical hub and why they don't rebuild. And we have to, as you've mentioned so many times to the historian today, we have to, as a community of people, of preservationists, if we'll call ourselves that, I think we can, try to educate, speak out for communities, places, and streets, or wherever we see yes. these sites. And speak out and try to raise awareness for them, for for everyone, or elevate the voices that are already screaming and can't even scream anymore because they're not yeah. heard. At whatever platform we have, we try to use it and try to elevate those voices, so yeah. it, it doesn't get lost because this is so important and it's so special and and it really is not seen or heard. And just to bring it to present day central. I just want to each of us go around and, and kind of give like, we, we learned this great history, but now it, it's, it's pretty much erased. They're trying to bring a little bit back and, and we will talk about the Dunbar now. I did, and I'll start, I, I went down central. I mean, I always gone down central for different things, but for specifically for this research and there, there's nothing really uh, significant. I mean, it's a lot of you know, I it is small businesses, little mom and pop shops, trinkets, mechanics, repair places, nothing like what we imagine from hearing these stories. Mid, you know, you know, in the hood are with the Mitch signage. I, I mean, I could say that because there's, <laughs> it looks 
colorful but it's not yeah. it's, it's not like organized i guess and i love that we do have these small businesses but it, it doesn't it doesn't the history that was there before is pretty much not highlighted or and then the people that are there now they don't probably don't know about it yeah, they, they don't, don't know, know that they don't yeah. know the history they're just trying to survive yeah. so that's why going down central you know there's a part of it that has some homes and apartments and stuff like that but as far as like the businesses they're just very small very small small businesses nothing really highlighting the jazz era or the african-american community there's the city did try to do landmark stops which are near more near than dunbar which is good so what do yeah. you guys think now if you want to go hood historian what you think now about going down central well, you know, I I feel it, you know, driving down and I can see the past, you know, I can I can just picture everything when I drive down Central, how it was, even though I see how it is now. I see what the city of L.A. did, you know, their jazz park, their jazz signage. Right. But like, uh, you know, since I read the old papers and and know about the history, I can see the. I can see how it was, but there's nothing we can do besides talk about it right. and educate others about the past, you know? Because right now, it's like present owners of the buildings, some of them, they don't even care. You know, they want to make their money, you know, rightfully so. They have to survive, you know? Right, right. But like the past, it's going to be up to people like us to keep that legacy going. And that's, that's good in a way, you know, that's good because we're keeping it alive, you know. What about you, Sabrina, um, going down Central now? Well, what did we have our adventure probably like three weeks ago, a month ago? You know, not that I haven't driven through South Central before or down Central. Um, we even go to a, a group meeting on Central, a little up more, not as down as far as we were. But we do all the time and I don't really think two thoughts about it except when we see buildings and when we find a little nugget of history that's exciting now i want to i want to go back now that we are now that i see it for what it is and now that i know about the jazz it feels like i always when i go to new orleans i feel like it's a home away from home for so many different reasons but part of that is the jazz and now it's right down the street it's a hop, skip, and a jump, and it's alive. And the buildings, as long as we have those facades that we can go look at and gawk at and say, oh my gosh, you see all that filigree. Do you see all those sharp teeth on the architecture? You see all you know the columns or whatever it may be that we like, that it's still there. And we still have the opportunity to keep that alive in us. And I would love to go down there and just go and we'll talk about the Dunbar in a second, but, and go to the jazz, like the jazz festival. They do have <laughs> they a jazz have, festival. I didn't know about. And I think we're going, I think we have to go at this <laughs> point. It's an absolute must. Have you gone? I haven't been. Well, you need to go too. Yeah, yeah <laughs> yes. exactly. And the only way we're going to keep this alive is if we tell, and again, elevate voices that have already been saying, but tell the people we know and say, hey, come with us to the Jazz Festival. Have you heard about the jazz from South Central? Do you know anything about this? Do you know what it yeah. used to be like? And have yeah. those conversations. And we're at that age. We have to. like, cause We have to. People older than us are going and we, you know, we're our age. <laughs> yeah. So to keep it going for the people under us. So just real quick. Okay, so we are looking for the Dunbar. 
we we passed it by like you said you could skip it right and we finally found it it's actually apartments for senior and low income and somebody was coming out of the lobby and we just kind of went in bombarded <laughs> we bombarded right but in. man like once you go into that courtyard you go to oh. a different place it's beautiful and it's I'll, I'll post some pictures on a different, I'll have Wayne add some pictures of that later. It's beautiful. Like you could feel the energy too. And then we, we, we snuck into the lobby part. Sorry, whoever's listening, but nothing bad. <laughs> no bad intentions. No, no <laughs> bad intentions. And just, um, to sit in the lobby. Mm-hmm. There's a piano there. There's amazing photos. There's like a lounge area that has period furniture, right? Like furniture from, you know, the 1920s wow. and 30s. Say more 40s. Like but, that yeah. dark era, right? The dark yeah. furniture, dim lighting. We seen a, a resident there and we talked to him. He told us about it a little bit and he, he didn't mind that we were there. We we're just asking questions. It feels like a heavy energy, right? Like for me, I'm not even, not in a paranormal way for me, but like you could tell there was like life there. That's paranormal. <laughs> My yeah. friends, there's that. Yeah. I, I It drew me in when that courtyard with that kind of glass ceiling between the actual hotel it was just gorgeous. It did remind me something out of New Orleans, as you mentioned when yeah. we were there. And I could hear it a little bit humming in my head because obviously there was nobody playing jazz at that moment. But you can own a picture and imagine in its heyday what of what it felt like. And I, when I think of Billie Holiday, I always think of gardenias. And I could just imagine it smelling like fresh flowers and greenery and the talk and the hubbub of people and the excitement of ideas and jazz and even before jazz when it was you know the uh the Somerville Hotel these minds these brilliant minds meeting together talking about how they're gonna better their community it's just so special to be in that space and I could feel it it was permeating me and I get again chills when I talk about it I want to go back down there again and they have a lovely little restaurant right there on the corner that has jazz on Sundays, you said, right? Yeah, it's called the Delicious at the Dunbar. So we all need to go one day. And they're going to have live jazz Sundays starting June 5th. So last couple of weeks ago, they started. It's like a little, you know, dine, you know, little cafe thing. And it, it pays respects to what it was at the time. I think that little corner is still nice right across from Jazz Park. The park is yeah. tiny, but it still has something there, right? Yeah, yeah and the, the tiles. We saw all the little tiles. Mm-hmm. and stuff yeah. yeah it was a, it was a cute little area and it's it's beautiful to see that there should be more and it's unfortunate yeah. there's not more but this is a start the restaurant if we go and become patrons of the restaurant it, it would they had a restaurant in the, in the dunbar's heyday they had all that stuff there so we yeah. just see it as its new life it's given new life and it houses seniors now and low-income yeah. people, low-income seniors and, and low-income other um, housing, that's giving back to the community in a sense. And it has new life in it. And that's beautiful. Yes. It's not and going anywhere. They still got to, you know, yeah. it's not going to get knocked down or anything. <clears throat> so. yeah. And same thing with the YMCA. We happened to see it. This man came out on his bike <laughs> and he started talking about it. And not, not to make a long story short, but he uh, led us into his apartment and to show us the inside of it of the ymca and it, it it's a lot of the maybe the doors in the hallway are kept original but a lot of it is remodeled in the you know for apartments studio apartments yeah. but i'm glad that it's still for people that do need it vulnerable people that you know have difficulties and he we looked in his apartment really cute studio 
Um, he loves it there. He shared a lot about, you know, his own self. And, and I thought it was cool. We got able to go in that front part where the, where they says the men's entrance and boys, I guess it's like a, like some kind of nonprofit for youth. So we didn't go in that front part. That front part is separate, but in the back it's like all um, apartments now. Elevator, oh. you know, it's an upgrade, but the, his apartment specifically still had the feel of what probably would have the layout of the room of yeah. how it yeah. would have looked out originally. And don't worry, guys, I'm the muscle. But also, we had a man with us at the time, so don't worry. We don't usually go in apartments with men. <laughs> well, but I mean, we he fine. was nice. He, he was nice. But yeah, we were safe. And that happened to be all by luck, both of those places getting both. in. Both. I think it was meant to be in. Anyhow, was. that's any last comments from you talking about Central? I mean, so we could wrap it up. What do you guys want to say before we wrap it up? All uh, right, I would like to say, yeah, Hood, Hood Historian would like to say, um, Central <laughs> Avenue. It's not going anywhere, you know, it's, it's going to be around. We always can drive over there. We always can um, patronize the businesses, the new the new businesses and the old businesses um, alike. I, I do want to check that uh, cafe out now since yeah. you, you, you guys mentioned that. The culture, as far as the jazz scene, is gone, but you still can feel the vibes. We just, we just got to keep that, um, that scene alive, you know, through our posts, you know, on our social media yes. and let the, you know, cause I always, wherever I go, I might say, Hey, you know about that building? I'm always saying something to somebody, you know, about history, you know? So Central Avenue is nothing, no different, you know? All right. Thank you. Uh, for me, same thing. I'm going to uh, embrace it in a different way. See it. It's not just Central Avenue. It's more of some a place that we, that I'm going to be able to see as now imagining, like how you said, imagining what it was before i didn't before i didn't imagine because i didn't know so now i could yeah. imagine what it was and how it felt and how it looked and you're right about still supporting the businesses that are there now and even though maybe they're not as nice for you know like what back in the day with these architecture buildings but it's still good to support whatever businesses are there also the dunbar and this cafe that is trying to keep that spirit alive and in the jazz festival, which we will not now we know we could go to now, I it really changed my mind frame and, and of the street that I had no idea was this important. What about you, Sabrina? I'll probably just piggyback off from what you're saying. I agree with you both. Patronizing those very vulnerable places for some, and going back to the Dunbar or elevating its history and elevating that it's still there uh, is really important. It did change my view completely of South Central. Maybe I say completely, it opened my eyes. Maybe that's what I should say is it opened my eyes. And it also reminded me that everything connects. Everything that we've been talking about in Los Angeles all connects to each other. And that's really important for us to know is that this stuff happened in history. And while South Central was happening here, maybe in Boyle Heights or Los Angeles in East LA, we had the Zoot Riots. There was stuff happening over here where I live in the Harbor area and throughout the entire world. It happened all at the same time. So mm -hmm. uh, it's really important to rem remember that in Los Angeles, that South Central is not out of Los Angeles. It's a big part of Los Angeles and it all happened together. And I also just really want to say that while I did feel in the places we went to, like the YMCA, I could feel a little heaviness when we went into the apartments. We didn't talk a lot about the paranormal, so I'm going to bring it up yeah. right now. And definitely in the Dunbar, I could feel the energy more than anything. And it permeated everything 
in the room. I think the city, moreover, is haunted by a past that it doesn't even know about or a bad past that it's trying to overcome. And the beautiful spirits from the earliest residents are there to remind us that the culture is still there and the music is still there and we just need to seek it out. And once we do, you know, we'll see how vibrant it is now. We can make it something or not we, we don't live there, but when we listen to the people that live there and we give them space and we are a part of, then we play homage to all those people before us and the jazz will live on through us. Yeah, Mm -hmm. great uh, outro on that. And yeah, the other part to that is knowing that there was some ugly history that sometimes we overlook living in LA. Oh, this isn't the South. No, it was the same shit, right? Yeah. (laughs) Just uh, designed maybe a little bit differently, but the same thing. We have to be respectful of that. And from that negative take, there was some amazing things that happened on that street and we have to um, highlight and um, like you say pay homage to thank you again all we'll just go ahead and share our handles um, and just for the next uh, couple when we did the research I ran into South LA recap have you heard I think you heard you're following him South LA recap he does videos on South Central South LA yeah so he does a lot of extensive research on South Central so we might be uh, bringing him to the podcast hopefully he we set something up with him for the future. Uh, That's a good wa- page. That's a nice page. Yeah. Yeah. If you want to follow yeah. me, I'm Doña Junta on Swami Chronicles on Instagram. And you can follow the podcast on Beyond the Facade podcast on all uh, platforms for podcasting and also on YouTube. We'll get the video out there. I'm observing, I'm observing spooks and other vices. And you guys know me as Sabrina. And I'm Hood Historian 562 on Instagram. Check me out. Yeah. All right. Well, thank you, everybody. And also, we can't forget today, this weekend was Juneteenth. It was another reason why we wanted to do the, the episode on, you know, today, because we're off and we're doing it today. Yes. So it's it's just kind of symbolic. And also, uh, who has a birthday shout out? Oh, yes. I would like to shout out my handsome, handsome husband, Tim. <laughs> Happy birthday, my love. Happy birthday, Tim. Happy birthday. (laughs) All righty. All right. Thank you, everybody. You guys have a good night, and we'll see you guys next time. Bye. All right. You guys take care. Bye.